Um, we're in week two of this sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and last week we kicked off the sermon series uh, looking at a number of passages, Old Testament, New Testament passages, uh, as an introduction to the series, focusing really on who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and I say who, um, and, and, and it is who, it's not what. We often refer to the Holy Spirit as an, as an it rather than a he. Um, and the Holy Spirit is, is, is a person, the third person of the Trinity, our triune God. We talked a lot about the Trinity last week. Um, one God, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We closed out last week. There was a lot of teaching and theology, but we, we, we closed out talking about some of the, the, the practical implications of our theology. Theology is in, incredibly important, um, but theology is more than just stuff that we store away in our head and knowledge. It, it should be what shapes our life. So we talked last week um, about some of those implications. Because the Spirit is a person, He is someone that you can relate to, right? The Holy Spirit is a person that we can, we can talk to, we can pray to, we can have a relationship with. Because He is divine, third person of the Trinity, He is worthy of the same honor and respect that we give to the Father and the Son. Because He is one with the Father and Son, um, the Holy Spirit's work is their work, right? And the Holy Spirit's conviction is their conviction. The Holy Spirit's leading is their leading in our lives. Because you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption, the day that we see Jesus face to face, because of that, the truth is God is always with you. And what a beautiful thing uh, that through the Holy Spirit, God is always with us. So this morning, I want us to see um, the incredible role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I want us to, 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 to see that and think about how the Holy Spirit continues to play uh, a role in our lives. I want us to see um, in that God's relentless pursuit of His people. From the very beginning, God has desired to be with his people, and he has taken extraordinary um, measures to be with us, to be with us now and forevermore. So, so let's pray this morning and, and then talk about um, Holy Spirit BC. That's the title this morning, Holy Spirit BC. And as I do every week, I, I, I ask if you would pray with me. Um, don't just listen to me. Um, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be good this morning to teach us, to help us, to encourage us, to bring conviction where that's needed, to do all the things that the Holy Spirit does. Would you pray with me? Good. Let's pray then. Father, you are, you are good and gracious, and what a privilege it is because of Jesus that we can not just gather today and, and worship together, but that we can come together as your people and, and pray, each of us praying our own prayer, uh, that we can pray and ask you to do mighty and amazing things in our midst, and, and you hear our prayers. Um, Holy Spirit, we, we, we know that we need you. I, I know that my words as a preacher are, are powerless apart from the power of the Spirit. I know that there is, is, is nothing that any of us in this room can do to change hearts and even to plant the, the seeds of truth um, deep in the hearts of, of your people, but, but that Holy Spirit you can do. 
And so we pray together today, Holy Spirit, that you would do that, that you would be mighty in our midst, that you would, you would convict where that is needed, that you would encourage us today as we need encouragement, and that you would open our eyes um, to see what a gracious and good Father that we have in God. Um, thank you. Thank you, Father, um, for your love and your grace. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us today. Thank you, Jesus, the reason that we are here and gathered. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, so if we want to talk about the Holy Spirit's presence and work before Christ, um, then we need to start at the beginning. And so we're going to start in the book of Genesis and, and run through those first few chapters of Genesis. And where, where I want us to start um, is, is seeing how we have been driven uh, from God's presence. We've been driven from God's presence. So the first few chapters of Genesis, amazing, and, and they teach us a lot about who we are and, and, and what we've done. They teach us a lot about who God is and the great things that God has done. And here in these first chapters, we see glimpses of our triune God. We talked about this a little bit last week. In chapter one, as God is speaking into existence, everything that is, as he is speaking into existence, um, worlds and, and stars and all sorts of, of creatures, we see in chapter one, verse two of Genesis, that the Holy Spirit was present in creation and hovering over the waters. Now, we also know from John chapter one that it wasn't just the, the, the Father and the Holy Spirit who were present and a part of um, creation, but Jesus was there as well, the eternal word, there with the Father and the Holy Spirit creating all that is. So when we come to verse 16 in chapter 1, um, and, and, and we, we see that uh, the Father is saying, let us create um, man in our image, that's the image that we are created in. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is the us of creation. We are created in the image of our triune God. So God spoke. He spoke um, worlds into being and here on, on earth. Uh, God created this incredible garden on earth, the Garden of Eden, and he shaped it perfectly for the crown of his creation, humanity. Humanity, again, created in his image. In the garden, there were, there were animals, there were trees, there was, there was a river, um, everything that Adam and Eve needed, and beyond that, everything that they needed and more, um, God provided for them in the garden. All of it was theirs. All of it was theirs to, uh, to enjoy, to take part in. It was all theirs except for the fruit of one tree. And God told Adam and Eve, it's all yours except for this fruit. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. And the day that you do, you will surely what? Die. And what God had in mind in talking about death was not that they would immediately drop dead and cease to live, but that they would be forever separated from God, um, forever separated from, from, from their, their father. So... Um, for some time after that, right, God gives them instruction and places them in the garden. And for some time, we don't know how long, for some time after that, Adam and Eve enjoyed the garden. Uh, they enjoyed all that God had created for them. They enjoyed one another. Uh, they enjoyed one another. Um, and, and, and more than that, they enjoyed the amazing presence of God. 
Right? That is the, 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 the most amazing thing to me. Like, we don't have a lot of details on what that was like for them, but we can gather from chapter 3, verse 8 and following that God would come into the garden where Adam and Eve were and hang out with them. God would come and he would talk in, in, in physical form, whatever that was, God would come into the garden where Adam and Eve were and, and he would spend time with them. He would fellowship with them and, and commune with them. And, and that's difficult for me to imagine. I mean, how, how incredible that must have been for, for them to be able to like ask God questions to talk to God and for God to, to talk to them. They, they, they enjoyed this, this communion with God without any barriers and no defenses. That's the communion that we were created for. Right? God, God created us to enjoy one another that way, to enjoy his creation that way. God created us to enjoy him that way. To enjoy his presence in that way. And for whatever reason, um, God, God created us for his enjoyment as well. To enjoy being with us, humanity. So we likely know, if we've been in church very long, what happens next. Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're near um, the, the, the tree that God had told them not to eat the fruit of. And a serpent comes. It's Satan in the form of a serpent comes and tempts Eve to eat of the fruit, twisting God's word. So Eve is deceived, and even though she's deceived, she knows she's not supposed to take of the fruit of that tree. She does take of the fruit of the tree. Adam, Adam is standing right there with her, watching on. She turns and gives the fruit to Adam. Adam eats of the fruit as well. And and, and when he did, sin entered into the garden, and God's good creation was changed forever. One of the amazing things when you read this story, um, one of the amazing things is to see how quickly and how far-reaching those changes were um, as sin entered into the world. It really was immediate. Immediately after they took of the fruit of the tree, chapter 3, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Immediately. Immediately there was guilt and there was shame and there was hiding where it had never been before. Verse 8 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. So, so here's God coming to see them again as apparently he often did. They heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden where once they enjoyed and probably, I, I, I can only imagine, looked forward to God coming and spending time with them. They enjoyed the presence of the Father, and now, because of sin, they are running and they're hiding from him among the, tree, the trees. Immediately, there is separation between the two of them and separation from God. Now, after God talks about the consequences of the sin that has taken place, consequences to the man, to the woman, to the serpent, even consequences on the world and creation in general, we read this in verse 22 of chapter 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Again, the, the Trinity here, like one of us, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now pay attention to this part. 
Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove. That is a strong word. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He drove them. He drove Adam and Eve out of the garden to the east. And he placed at the entrance to the garden, um, if you will, guards, cherubim and this sword to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden. Adam and Eve could not return to the garden. The garden was lost to humanity beautiful garden that provided everything that Adam and Eve could possibly need. It was gone and they were driven from it. But, but, but worse than that, right? worse, worse than that, it, it wasn't the garden and the trees and the fruit that they were driven from. It was the presence of God. Like they, were, they were driven from the presence of God. They were barred from returning to the place where they met him and the place of his presence. Thankfully, thankfully, that was not the end, right? And, and, and we know at New City, we talk a great deal uh, about the big story of the Bible. Um, if you look in our bulletin, you'll see that our, our liturgy fo- follows this pattern. It's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is the overarching theme and the big story of the Bible, and in the end, um, th- this big story ends with a restoration. So l- let me talk for a minute about God's big story and the coming restoration. Thank God it doesn't end with us being driven from the garden never to return. The Bible tells us in, in this big story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We just talked about creation and fall. God created and everything was good. It was beautiful, everything that we needed. Sin entered into the world and when it did, we call that the fall. Everything was changed by the fall. But as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, um, and then after that, over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, we see promises of a Redeemer. God was not satisfied that sin would separate us from him. One would come who would fix all of the brokenness that was caused by sin. He would come, the prophets tell, uh, uh, over and over and over again through the Old Testament, he would come and he would bring forgiveness of sin. He would redeem God's people from their sin, and once again, God's people would be with him. He would be their God and they would be his people. And the ultimate end of this redemption is restoration. The promised one would come. He would establish the kingdom of God that was intended in the garden. And forevermore in this restoration, God would be the God of his people and they would be his people who loved and worshiped and followed him. The, the redeemer who was coming, he, 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 will, he will right all of the wrongs that have been caused by sin. The enemies of God and God's peoples would be, will be judged. God's people again will be gathered with him to enjoy him forever. And God will enjoy his people forever. That's the restoration in creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, in the Bible, in the story of the Bible, we we know that in this big story, Jesus is that promised one. 
The one that the, the prophets in the Old Testament talked about, Jesus. That's, that's who was promised. The promise in Genesis 3.15 of the one who would crush the head of the serpent, that's Jesus that was being promised. The Redeemer who would save God's people, the Redeemer who would, who would forgive God's people of their sin is Jesus, right? After his life, his death, his resurrection, now, but he promised one day he was returning, and when the, when the time was completed, Jesus promised, I am coming back, I'm going, to, I'm going to gather God's people, our people will be gathered, all of sin and evil and those who don't love and follow Jesus, all of them will be judged, and Jesus promises, I will establish the kingdom forever. We get glimpses of that kingdom in the book of Revelation, the revelation uh, that was given to John. We get get glimpses of what it's going to be like when the king comes back, how he will judge, and how he will establish his kingdom. Those who trust in his promises, he will save, he will redeem, he will rescue, and he will bring into the presence of the Father forever and ever. And we who love and follow Jesus will be with him forevermore. He will be our God. We will be his people. That's the big story of the Bible. God has a plan, and it has been unfolding since the beginning of time and unfolding since the fall. But listen to me, this plan that a Redeemer would come and God's people waited on a Redeemer. The Redeemer has come for us. We we look back at Jesus and we see that Jesus has come, and and, and that was 2,000 years ago. And now we're we're looking forward to one day uh, the Redeemer will come back and he will restore all things. These are great and beautiful promises that, that, that give us incredible hope beyond what we see and live in right now. This is the beautiful news of the gospel, but there is more to it than that. Even this was not enough for the Father. God desired to be with his people. Not, not to wait, not, not to wait until Jesus came, not to wait 2,000 years after Jesus came. God desired to be with his people and for his people to be with him. We know Jesus' role in, in the big story of God, but we often miss how God was with his people even before Jesus. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The presence of God with his people before Christ. The presence of God with his people before Christ. We know that Jesus, when he came, he was given the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. But even before his birth, death, and resurrection, God was with his people. Now, I I say this on the front end. I, I I am amazed in my own life. I'm, I'm one of those kids who grew up in church. I didn't become a believer until I was 24 or 25, but I grew up in church. My, my parents were in church. When the doors were open, we were there. My dad was the youngest deacon in his church history at the time, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a church kid. Even though I didn't believe the gospel, I knew the gospel. I knew the stories of the Bible. I knew Old Testament stories. I knew New Testament stories. And, and, and in all of those years, as I, as I heard, as I read, as I attended church, I am amazed at how, how much I miss the activity of the Spirit in the Old Testament. 
how little that I saw of God being with his people through the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So, so what I want to do this morning is run through, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. I, I, I wish that we had hours today to talk about it, but we don't. Um, so I want to run through several ways and places that we see the old te- in the Old Testament the Spirit's work. So first of all, I've already mentioned creation, right? Just mention it again. The Spirit created. The Spirit was present in creation. The Spirit hovering over the water, taking part with God the Father and God the Son in creating everything that is created, including us. We are created in His image, in the image of God, Father. Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been a part of creating everything that is. The second thing we see in the Old Testament is that the Spirit spoke God's words, right? So throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is connected to the words of God. Um, The Lord said that he would put his words in the people's mouths. That's Isaiah 59 verse 21. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, David said that the Spirit of the Lord spoke through him. So when King David, this great and wise king, spoke, King David is saying that, that it, was, it was the Spirit who spoke through him. Isaiah um, 61 makes it clear that the words of Isaiah uh, that would later become the words of Jesus, those words came from the Spirit. Isaiah 61.1 starts out, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah is saying, like, what I'm writing, what I'm saying, what I'm telling you as God's people is the Spirit of the Lord speaking through me. So the Spirit spoke God's words to God's people. God spoke to his people by the Holy Spirit. So uh, this is important. Like one of the the, the things that was a, a joy in the garden and one of the things that was lost when humanity was driven from the garden was to be able to speak with God. And here is God providing through the Holy Spirit, to his people through the prophets, to his people through others. Thirdly, the Spirit led men to confront evil. The prophet Micah was um, bold, not the only one, right? All of the prophets had this boldness in speaking. The prophet Micah was bold to denounce the evil of God's people and declare the righteousness, to declare the righteousness of God to them. And Micah himself attributed this to the, to the filling of the Spirit of the Lord. Micah 3.8, Micah said the Spirit filled him with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. So the Spirit led the prophets to confront men, to confront evil. The Spirit regenerated. The Spirit regenerated. In John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a minute, that's not Old Testament. This is Jesus and Nicodemus, right? This is not B.C. This is, this is C with Christ. Um, but, but here's the thing. When, when, when Jesus was alive and when he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, we have to understand that Jesus is living under the Old Covenant. 
Jesus is fulfilling the old covenant. So at this point, we are still in the Old Testament and, and, and the way that God was working in the Old Testament. So, so Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's one of the teachers of the people. And, and Jesus and Nicodemus are talking and Nicodemus is asking really about who Jesus is and, and what he's doing. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus was confused by this, Jesus responded saying, are you, are you not a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand this? John chapter 3 verse 10, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that he should have known this all along as a teacher of God's people. It is the Spirit who sets us apart. It is the Spirit who, who gives us new life. That's what this new life is that Jesus is talking about. This is what it means to be born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives us new life. And when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, what he's doing is saying throughout all of the Old Testament, Nicodemus, you of all people should know this is the way the Spirit works. It's the Spirit who regenerates. The fifth thing. The Spirit indwelled. We talked briefly about the Spirit um, sealing and indwelling all who believe in Jesus today and what a precious gift that is to us. Ephesians 1 confirms this. But even in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit indwelling people. It was different. Not all believers or people who loved and followed God, not all of those Old Testament believers were indwelt by the Spirit, but some were. The indwelling was, was selective and it was temporary. Um, the Spirit was said in the Old Testament to come upon certain people. So Old Testament believers were indwelt by the Spirit for God's purposes for a select and temporary time. Joshua is an example of that. Joshua was filled with the Spirit, and he was commissioned to lead Israel after Moses' death. Um, that's in Numbers 27. Othniel, uh, also Numbers 27, Judges 3.10, was empowered by the Spirit to judge God's people, right? The Spirit indwelt him so that he could rightly judge God's people and lead them into war. Uh, the Holy Spirit is said to have filled, come upon, and filled King Saul, Israel's first king. And then we read of King Saul that the Spirit departed him as well. So the Spirit came for a time on Saul, and then the Spirit left Saul. King David is also said to have had the Spirit indwelling him, and, and King David was pleading with God at one point not to take the Spirit from him. So we see the indwelling of the Spirit. It's just different from the indwelling of the Spirit in the New Testament. The sixth thing, the Spirit empowered God's people. 
As the Jews returned from Babylonian exile, um, the Lord encouraged them to build his temple where he would dwell with with the people around them. The people around them were threatening them, and God wanted them to know that they were safe from the threats of the people. God, by his Holy Spirit, enabled them with courage. God told his people through Haggai, my spirit remains among you. My spirit is with you. Do not fear. And so the Spirit was, was with them, empowering them, even, even against uh, their enemies, empowering them with courage. The Lord told the prophet Zechariah that Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, um, would complete the temple. And he says, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. By, but by my spirit, Zechariah 4, 6. It was the spirit who would come and enable. It's the spirit who would come and encourage God's people. It's the spirit who would strengthen them for the work that God had before them. So the, the Holy Spirit came to empower God's people. At times, the Holy Spirit would empower God's people like well beyond their own abilities. You remember the stories of of Samson, maybe hearing those as a kid. I remember as a kid hearing the stories of Samson from the Old Old Testament and how strong and mighty that Samson was. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. At one point, the Holy Spirit um, took control of Samson, and Samson had such great strength that he was able to tear a lion apart, right? Like that is supernatural strength from the Holy Spirit. There's another time when, when Samson took vengeance on the Philistines, um, and, and they had him bound in ropes. And, and the, the Bible says, by the power of the Spirit, that he snapped those ropes like burning flax, This was the Spirit of God giving supernatural power, in this case, empowering Samson to to defeat his enemies. The Spirit also taught God's people. Ezra said of God, you gave your good spirit to instruct them, Nehemiah 9.20. Old Testament believers were enabled by the Spirit to understand what God was saying to them, even even through the words of the prophets, right? The, the, The Holy Spirit was empowering the words of the prophets so that the people would understand them. In other instances, the Spirit gave instructions to two individuals, like just specific instructions. Um, Lots of examples of this. One is to King David. King David um, was not not to build the temple of God, but his son Solomon was. David gave the plans for the temple to his son um, Solomon, and David said that these were plans that the Spirit had put in his mind. David is crediting what, what he was giving to Solomon. This is what the Spirit has given to me. So the Spirit taught, the specific, uh, gave specific instruction. The Spirit gave God's people understanding, Job 32.8. Um, the psalmist, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 143.10, the psalmist is asking to know God's will, like, like Spirit, come and give me um, un- understanding of what it is that God wants. Uh, and, and he says... He asked the Lord to allow his gracious spirit to lead him to firm footing. Now, he's not talking about physically firm footing that he could stand on. He's talking about the wisdom and knowledge of God's will for what he should do. Praying to the Holy Spirit for understanding. 
Number eight, the Spirit granted special skills. Um, The Holy Spirit gifted Old Testament individuals to accomplish God's divine plans. When God told Israel how he wanted the tabernacle built and the temple built, he also equipped craftsmen and artisans by the Spirit to do his work. It's one of the most amazing things to me when you read about the the tabernacle being built and how ornate it was and how special it was. God took artisans. They were craftsmen who were already craftsmen, but but he gave them these, these added abilities, these special skills to construct it in the most beautiful and ornate way so that it, it would stand out above anything else that, that humanity had made. God's temple, God's tabernacle would be a place of and for his glory. We read about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Um, It was the spirit who enabled Joseph to interpret dreams, Genesis chapter 41, and gave uh, other believers the ability to prophesy. Seventy elders with Moses temporarily received prophetic powers from the spirit. That's in Numbers chapter 11. The Spirit came and empowered God's prophets and, and priests and kings in all of these special ways with all of these abilities and, and, and talents. He was, he was gifting them to serve his people. And so ultimately what God was doing was providing for his people through the kings and through the prophets and, and through the priests. The, the prophets preached God's word to, to God's people. The priests interceded for God's people on their behalf. And the, the kings were anointed by the Holy Spirit to lead Israel against their enemies. The Spirit granted these special people, his powers to serve his people. The Spirit was also, lastly, God's visible presence with his people. Many theologians believe that the numerous places in the Old Testament um, that associate God's presence with fire and, and smoke, um, even his visible glory, that those are references to the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you read, like in Exodus, the, 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 the cloud of smoke by day and the fire by night that would lead Israel through the wilderness and to the promised land, what these theologians are saying is this was the visible presence of the Holy Spirit with God's people. The smoke that filled, filled the temple in Isaiah chapter 6, this incredible passage of Isaiah being in the temple and the temple being filled with the presence of God, the smoke that filled the temple, they would say, that was the presence of the Spirit of God. The smoke and the cloud that were in the temple and even that departed the temple in Ezekiel 10, again, this was said to be the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. This was God in the temple with his people. So, was that a lot? Be a test in the lobby. It's, I'm tired from trying to go through all that. It's a lot. And it's not even scratching the surface of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Like there are so many other verses and so many other things that, that, that we, could, we could dig into if we had more time today to, to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. It's incredible. 
So, so what do we do with it? So what? The Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament, right? I, I think this is beautiful news that the Holy Spirit was at work even in the Old Testament. So a, a couple of things that I, I, I thought about for myself this morning, um, getting ready for this morning. One thing is this. What should we learn from this morning? One thing is this. We have missed a great deal of God's work in and through his people by missing so much of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament. Think about that. We've missed a great deal of God's work in and through and even for his people because we've missed so much of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament. Now, I'll say it again. I, I, I can't tell you how many times that personally, just confessional for me, how many times I have read the Old Testament or portions of the Old Testament, um, read books about the Old Testament, and I've missed the work of the Spirit. I just completely read over, read past, read through, did not see the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicting God's people of sin. The Holy Spirit leading God's people to the places that were best for them, the places that they needed to be. The Spirit giving God's words to God's people. This was the Holy Spirit. This was, this was God speaking to his people through, through the Spirit, the very, the very words of God given to his people. The Holy Spirit teaching. I, I, I just imagine how amazing it would have been in the garden where we started this morning, how amazing it would have been to be Adam and Eve hanging out with God and just able to ask him whatever questions you had, and God would answer. The Holy Spirit is God teaching us. The Spirit giving strength, giving strength to, to kings and to priests and to prophets and to, to judges and other people as they, as they led God's people, the, the, the Spirit giving, giving strength and power. Hear me. The story of Samson isn't about Samson being mighty. The story of Samson is about the mighty Holy Spirit that filled him. The, the, the Spirit giving talents and, and skills and then giving an extra dose. When God called for extra, when, when God called his people for something extra, it was the Holy Spirit who gave them everything they needed to accomplish it. I, I, I think, I have thought this week about this, I think in missing those things... I have missed the Holy Spirit's work in my own life. I, I think also because I have missed those things, I have missed out on faith and trust in the Spirit. And there, therefore, faith and trust in, in, in God. Because I, I haven't seen the Spirit's work in the Bible to, to see how active and engaged he was with God's people, how he provided, how he cared, how he, how he gave them everything that they needed. Because I haven't seen that, it, it's caused me to lack faith in my own life. 
Here's what I mean. There have been, there have been times for me when, when I have been afraid to speak, to, to sense to sense the leading of the Holy Spirit to say something to someone, maybe to, a, to address a, a brother about sin in their life, maybe, maybe to talk with someone who doesn't know Jesus, to talk with them about, about Jesus and faith. There have been times when I have felt the Holy Spirit moving in that direction, saying, saying go and talk, and, and, and I've lacked faith that the Holy Spirit would give me the words of God to say. That's, that's the connection I'm trying to make. Because I haven't seen how the Holy Spirit gave the prophets the words of God. I, 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 in fear, don't say anything because I don't trust that God will give me the words by the Holy Spirit that now indwells me. There have been things as, 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 as a pastor in leading New City Church, there have been things that I've sensed God wanting us to do. And I've been fearful to say anything or to lead in doing those things. I haven't trusted the power and the leading and the strength of God. I've felt inadequate and so I did nothing. I am inadequate. So don't be surprised this morning that I'm telling you that I feel inadequate. I am inadequate. And that is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And because I haven't seen, because I've read the Old Testament and looked right over those verses and not seen how God provided for his people there, I have lacked the faith in my own life to follow the Spirit. What if I, what if I trusted? What if, I, what if I remembered those things, those areas that we see the Holy Spirit at work? What if I had trusted? I, I don't know. This is just a question. What would have changed in conversations? What might have changed in the things that New City did if I had believed that God would supply all that I needed and all that we needed to accomplish his great purposes? I've missed out on God's work and his willingness to work in, in, in my life and in, in our lives because I have missed so much of the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. We've also missed a great deal of God's heart for his people by missing so much of the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. We've missed the heart of God because we've missed the work of the Spirit. Remember in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verses 23 and 24, I, I read those verses. i read them again. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden after sin, out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Sin separated us from God, but God was not satisfied with that separation. So we know, we've already talked about it, I'm going to mention it again though, we, we, we know that Jesus came, the gospel is beautiful, Jesus lived the life that we can't live, 
Jesus, Jesus lived the life of righteousness that is required for us to be restored again to our Father. Jesus died the death that we deserve, paying our, pen, uh, our penalty for sin, right? Taking the wrath of God that, that we deserve. On the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. We talk about this every single week at New City. And, and the beautiful news of this is that when we trust in him, when we trust in his work, rather than in our own work, the good news of the gospel is that we are redeemed from sin. Our sin is forgiven. We are restored immediately, in a sense, to our Father, and, and we look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and restores all things to himself, and we are forevermore in his presence. But, but, but listen, I, I don't want us to miss this. Even though man had to be driven from the garden because of sin, God was not willing to be separated from humanity. And, and, and it is true, again, that Jesus is the hero of the story, fully and finally making a way for us to be with the Father. But, but, but the Holy Spirit's work in the, in the Old Testament is proof to us that God was unwilling to be separated from us. He, he is proof that God was and is unwilling for us to get away from him. The Holy Spirit is, is proof to us as we, as we look at the Old Testament that, 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 that God is our great provider. Think about the list of things that we just talked about. Everything that we needed because we walked away from God and we wandered far from Him in our own wilderness. Everything that we needed, God provided for us through the Holy Spirit teaching us, leading us, encouraging us, strengthening us, empowering us, giving the very words of God to us. He is the great Savior. He is the great Savior. God is our pursuer. What a beautiful picture that we have here of God as our pursuer. God has always sought his people. The Holy Spirit was doing that. God has always sought his people. The words of every prophet, as the prophet cried out to God's people, stop sinning, turn back to God. Where you're headed is the wrong direction. Come back to him. The words of every prophet, those, those were the words of God calling his people back to himself, our great pursuer. God has always led his people. That, 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 that fire by night, the cloud by day, that is God leading his, his blind and wandering people, blind because of sin, wandering, not knowing where to go or how to go, and God sends his spirit to lead us. That's our pursuer. That's a God who is unwilling to be separated from his people. It's a God who loves us too much to let us wander alone, wander alone in our sin and brokenness. The Holy Spirit that, that filled kings and, and generals and, and Samson protecting his people is the same Holy Spirit that guards and protects us. The wisdom that God gave is the wisdom that is available to us by the Holy Spirit. He has pursued his people by the Spirit. 
That's a beautiful picture when we, when we go through and talk about all of those things that we see of the Holy Spirit. What we see is our, our gracious, good, kind, loving, pursuing Father taking care of us, redeeming us, restoring us, bringing us back to himself. He has pursued his people by his Spirit even when they ran from him. Even when we run from him. All those years, all those years, I thought that the God of the Old Testament was a mean old man, always ready to strike somebody. I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I, I missed the Spirit of God. I missed the Spirit of God pursuing and loving and teaching and helping. I, I, I missed the God who was unwilling to leave his people in their sin. I missed the God who, even before Jesus, graciously, patiently, kindly loved and cared for his people. I missed the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want you to do it either. What a beautiful thing we've missed. How much of our Father we've missed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Jesus, thank you, as we'll talk later, for sending your Spirit to your people. Holy Spirit, we have ignored you. We have forgotten you. We have not pursued you, and yet you are pursuing us. The patience of God, the kindness of God, the grace of God, all poured out in you. Teach us this morning. Help us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.